This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome to the podcast with Statsman and AJ, Rotowire's hockey podcast show. I'm Paul Bruno, and you can follow me at Statsman22. My partner on these pods, as always, is AJ Scholes. And uh, AJ, you're on the home front. You're waiting for a call from your wife to determine when, when you guys are going to go to the hospital and welcome your first addition to the family. So uh, I'm on pins and needles with you there, pal, and wish you good luck with all that. Yeah, hopefully it doesn't come during the podcast, uh, although I have gotten pre-approval to, to at least finish the show for our listeners, uh, so hopefully the call doesn't come, but if it does, uh, we'll be with you here, I'll finish it out for you, and then uh, we'll take off from there. You know what, you're a real trooper, but it would be kind of fun if we had a video portion and you just flew off, you know, <laughs> drop the mic and just take off out of the, out of the shot and, uh, and go and do, do the business, but uh, I appreciate it, but you be careful and do what's best for the family, man. Uh, AJ, the games of the first round have come and gone. Uh, as expected, there were a, f- a couple of surprises and uh, some interesting storylines, and the usual uh, new heroes emerged. And on today's show, not only will we take a look, quick look back at those series, but we want to also shift our focus onto the second round of matchups. There's a, one intriguing one that you're looking forward to, but uh, four quality matchups, I think, on the docket going forward. Yeah, if the first round's any indication, we're going to have uh, quite the second round going here. I believe I saw this was the most overtime uh, games in the first round of the playoffs in, in NHL history. So that's saying a lot. Uh, your your Caps and in, uh, in your Maple Leafs really contributed to that with five of their six games going in OT. But we'll get into that a little bit more. Uh, but before we kick off the rest of the show, I'll remind our listeners that throughout the week, Uh, If you have questions about your daily lineups, season-long questions uh, that are fantasy hockey-related or just hockey in general, I want to know if we saw what you saw during a game or if, you know, we uh, see the same things as far as a matchup that you're seeing, feel free to tweet at us and we'll try and answer your questions uh, throughout the week. Uh, You can follow me at AJScholes24. And as Paul said, you can follow him, uh, Paul the Statsman, at Statsman22. All right, AJ, let's get into this uh, look at the first-round series uh, the uh, Montreal versus the New York Rangers, that was a set that was decided with weeks to go in the re- regular season just because the Rangers were entrenched in last, uh, the last playoff spot in the, uh, 
their Metro division uh, and the first wild card, and they were, knew they were going to draw the Montreal Canadiens, who were going to finish first in the Atlantic. And as predicted, this, this was a, a tough, hard-fought series. The Rangers took it in six. I, I felt good about this pick right from the outset. And uh, wasn't too surprised at the outcome. The the Rangers needed to get goaltending from Henrik Lundqvist that would effectively nullify the the Canadians' best player and uh, in Carey Price, and they did so. And that was the telling tale for me. Yeah, I agree. I I thought the Habs would throw up a little bit more of a fight, um, but this was just a tough matchup. I mean, they would have been better off losing the division yeah. and ending up, uh, you know, either playing Boston or, or Ottawa uh, as the two seed there. Uh, the Ro- Rangers, as you mentioned, relied heavily on Lundqvist. They only scored 2.33 goals per game, so they're not uh, their offensive numbers aren't huge, uh, but just enough when you got King Henrik in the back. Uh, and then we talked uh, at the trade deadline about Montreal going for size instead of speed, while the Rangers are a fast team, and, and it you know was clear that the speed won out over size. I didn't like those trades uh, at the trade deadline, and they look. Uh, even worse now to to build up a, the the size of that team. There's no question about that. And um, what did Montreal in was the bugaboo during the course of the regular season. There were times where they went into scoring funks where they couldn't buy goals, and and it was really telling in this series. Well, when Alex Galchenyuk was held scoreless. And Max Pacioretty, the same thing. These are two of their top snipers, and they didn't get a goal between them over the set, and they totaled four assists uh, as well. So in the post-playoff scrums, they were the two main targets for non-delivery, I'll say, of, uh, of what they usually are responsible for. Their top scorer, Alex Radiloff, uh, in this series, uh, compiled seven points. He's a, he's a free agent in the offseason, and it's going to be interesting to see what what kind of contract talks they get involved in with him because he's over 30 years of age, AJ, and uh, he's going to command more than more money or mean maybe even the same money that he drew last year, which was over five million bucks. And and uh, Alex Mar- uh, Andre Markov is in the same boat. He's a pending free agent and one of their top defensemen. Still, they rely on the aging veteran uh, so heavily that, that you can make a case they're going to need to pay him too. So some tough uh, decisions. Not and, and we also have to talk about the fact Carey Price is a year away from free agent is headed for free agency, I should say. So some real contract issues in Montreal that are going to make this summer compelling for them. But the Rangers, to me, were were full marks for doing what we expected them to do, and that was outskate the Habs and get the goaltending that would make this thing an even series. So uh, not an entirely shocking outcome uh, as we anticipated in that series. And the next series, uh, it was uh, Ottawa-Boston. You know, it was a razor-thin margin for me, despite the fact that Ottawa had the season series here in, in four games they prevailed in six in this series and there were some real in, great intangibles and and some some also some uh, compelling storylines in this series with some of the contributions of course we know about Craig Anderson but Clark MacArthur really emerged as a hero for the Ottawa Senators in this set yeah absolutely and and as you mentioned a uh, real kind of a, a thin margin there there were four overtime games including one that went to double OT you know a couple bounces the other way and, and this becomes either an extended series or possibly even a Boston win uh, and I think injuries were poorly timed for the Bruins uh, on their their D-line uh, they did well with uh, Charlie McAvoy seemed to adjust pretty quickly uh, to postseason play having never played and still never played in an NHL regular season game uh, but you know I think uh, everything going for Ottawa was a little too much they, they did get those bounces the right way Bobby Ryan had seven points two game winning goals uh, four of those uh, markers came on the power play so uh, just a, a good 
Ottawa squad. I, I don't know how far they're going to make it beyond this, but uh, they definitely were able to get past the Bruins and in, in kind of handily, although, uh, like I said, a couple of bounces the other way, and, and maybe this changes. This was a case for me of the, your leaders have to lead. And look at the, the scoring leaders for, for Ottawa in this set. Of course, Derek Brassard, who's going to be front and center in the analysis of the next series, uh, because he was an ex-Ranger, he delivered the goods to the point that uh, he led the team in scoring in this round with eight points. Bobby Ryan with seven. Uh, Eric Carlson uh, was heroic on defense, getting six assists, and some of these were just spectacular plays that he made to to set up. 30 minutes a night, too, for him. Incredible. And uh, Dion Phaneuf, you know what? I'll I'll give a nod to the former Leaf captain here because he played very well above uh, what I expected of him. 25 minutes logged by him per game, and he contributed a key overtime winning goal with a slapper from the point, which you don't see too often anymore. So uh, kudos to him. Of course, Anderson in goal was was fantastic, keeping the goals against below two per game and outdueling Tuka Rask in that goaltending matchup. So really taking away uh, effectively one of the edges that I thought that the Bruins had in this series. So uh, Ottawa continued their mastery over the Bruins and uh, is full of marks for advancing into the next round against the New York Rangers in that bracket. Uh, up next, we have my Maple Leafs get finally giving up the goal. Uh, giving up the ghost in uh, the series against Washington. You mentioned five overtime games in six. Uh, Caps outscored the Leafs by a grand total of two goals in this series, AJ. And for all the talk that this was the most lopsided matchup in the first round, it turned out to be maybe the closest series in the first round. Before I get on with uh, my analysis, I'd love to hear what you had to say about this set. Well, I think it's interesting how many people were surprised that this became a, a six-game series. Uh, any of our listeners certainly shouldn't have been. I mean, you and I talked a lot about the Leafs' young talent um, and how good they could be and whether or not they were just too young to know that they were supposed to get you know, shut down by Washington in, in four like everybody seemed was going to happen. Uh, I, I do think you mentioned uh, for other teams you need your leaders to step up when the opportunity presents itself. T.J. Oshie and Justin Williams uh, both had three goals apiece. They definitely uh, chipped in where needed. Uh, and I think signs are pointing up for the Leafs. I think this year was a good test. Uh, they'll enter next season with some experience under their belts. Uh, and I would uh, not want to go up against them next year, that's for sure. Well, I think you're right with that analysis. But I look at the top end of the scoring. The Capitals had six guys that had multiple goals. And beyond that, uh, there was nothing in terms of offensive contribution. You could say, sir, John Carlson was the only one outside that group that got a goal, of, uh, along with Evgeny Kuznetsov uh, among the forwards. But the rest of the scoring was handled by the usual suspects. Uh, one of which uh, didn't appear until the last game where Mark and Marcus Johansson got off the schneid and picked up both goals in that final game and uh, and put the Leafs on the sidelines finally. But for me, this was a set where that became a lot closer than it probably should have been just because Freddie Anderson elevated his game and he matched uh, Braden Holtby save for save through the first, uh, well, five games and then the, the uh, first three periods of game six. So there was nothing to choose from between these two teams and and really you hit the nail on the head the Leafs played a fearless brand of hockey they had they were playing with house money here AJ so absolutely nothing to use lose and and as we said the Leafs uh, young play youngest players these guys are all winners at the junior hockey level on the international stage at the junior hockey tournaments so they were used to winning they knew what it took to to deliver the a1 effort they gave it all they had but in the end the Caps really revved things up in the last three games of this series. They forced the Leafs to play at a higher level and, and showed me that they were 
deserving uh, of advancing in this playoff. And they're going to be a tough out for the rest, anybody that faces them the rest of the way, just because they found that level that they were pushed by the Leafs. And maybe in the end, it's a good thing that they were uh, for them because they've had some playoff struggles in the past, but they were forced to reach down and, and get to that level uh, that they need to to uh, to get to the silverware and they've got a tough road to hoe with a Pittsburgh series coming up and we're going to have a little bit of fun with that later in the show but uh, to me the Caps looked like the President's Trophy winners in the last half of the series and that's what really tipped the scales in their favor at the end of the day. Uh, finally we're going to get in this uh, half of the Eastern Conference uh, e- the Pittsburgh Penguins versus Columbus Blue Jackets while on paper it looked like an even series AJ uh, the Penguins did prevail in, in five games, much shorter than, than most people would have thought. But really, it was on the strength of their superstars and uh, the flower in net. There's a real storyline emerging there with his performance. And uh, it kind of throws a bit of a cloud over their goaltending situation going into the offseason, I think, because they're going to stay with him in the next series, no doubt. So, again, I'm, I'm anxious to hear your perspective. This is your club tri- pri- triumphing over Columbus. Uh, I'll let you run with it. Yeah, I was actually surprised at how bad Bobrovsky actually was in this series. I, I expected a lot more from him. He had a .882 save percentage, which was second worst among all the, the goaltenders in the, the first round. So I, I was really surprised by that. You know, I expected the Pens to put some goals up. Uh, they had the, the leading offense all season long, uh, and they continued that. They averaged 4.2 goals per game, 33.3% on the power play. Uh, and talk about getting a guy back at the right time. Evgeny Malkin leads the league in the playoffs right now with 11 points. So getting him back uh, is never going to hurt your team. And so I, I think they're they're really cruising well. Um, you mentioned the goaltending situation. You know, Flurry uh, steps in as the all-time you know winner, wins leader in every category in Pittsburgh now, postseason and regular season. And really, that's a that's a benefit that they had. I'm, I'm glad that they stuck to their guns and didn't uh, didn't trade him away at the trade deadline. We'll get into some of that a little bit more when we talk about the second round matchup. Uh, the Jackets, uh, for their part, they led the playoffs with 38.8 shots per game. So it wasn't for a lack of trying. They just ran into uh, a hot netminder trying to earn his way back. And that can really be dangerous. Uh, they just weren't able to convert, unfortunately, for them. And, uh, you know, Penguins move on to the second round. Uh, happily for you. And uh, it was, to me, the, the, the Penguins outskated the trouble that uh, lay in wait with the more physical Columbus Blue Jackets. They just simply couldn't keep up with the pace the Penguins set. Uh, and, and they didn't get much offense beyond a couple of uh, players with three points and two goals yeah, that's not enough against a team that can put the puck in the net the way the penguins did and they their top end guys just as i said with a couple of other previous series they did deliver the goods and and uh, they did score six seven and eight points malkin leading the club the the league with double digits too so uh, it was a, a case of not handling the the penguins scoring power that did the jackets in in this set uh over to the Western Conference, perhaps the shocker of all shockers when you look at it from, from a high level, Chicago Blackhawks versus Nashville. The Predators stole this one in four quick games, AJ. And uh, really, it comes down to the fact that they, they played shutdown hockey. They managed to, to li- really limit the Hawks' offense almost completely, putting a blanket over them. A stunning outcome uh, in some quarters. But maybe when we look, rewind back to the beginning of our preseason shows we both thought the Predators were a heck, a heck of a hockey club they finally showed it after an 82 game schedule where they kind of uh, 
kind of went below the radar. They reminded everybody just what we outlined back in the preseason, that this is a pretty darn good hockey club. Yeah, I mean, at, at the start of the season, we, we expected this from them, and it just wasn't there during the regular season. I mean, Rene, Rene was, he wasn't bad during the regular season, but he was kind of average, a, a .918 save percentage, 2.42 goals against average, and he really just stepped it up. Uh, that save percentage up to 9.76, and that goals against under one at just .7 goals allowed. Uh, and when they won both games in Chicago, it, it was pretty much over, in my opinion, to go onto the road into that building. I mean, that's that's a tough place to play. Uh, the fans there are, are used to winning. They're used to cheering on their team. And so that's a tough place to play. But as soon as they got it back into, uh, into uh, Nashville, into the Music City, uh, that uh, that atmosphere down there was, again, just too much. So I really, once they won the first two games, I kind of expected them to, to close it out, but I did not think it would be a four-game sweep, that's for sure. Yeah, they outscored the Hawks 13-3 to in this set. That's uh, more offense that they were getting on, on a game-per-game game basis, but the, really the shutdown story on the defensive side of the puck, allowing only three goals to that potent Chicago offense was a real shocker the telling tale in this set to uh, no question about that so we'll look forward to seeing if they can continue their role uh, the one seed effectively effectively beating the eight seed doesn't happen too often but this was not your typical one seed versus not your typical eight seed in my opinion a lot closer than it, it looked on paper to us and uh, you know a four nothing sweep good for nashville we'll see if they can continue Next up, the St. Louis Blues. This is one where we were on opposite sides of the, the issue. You got it right, and I got it wrong. The Blues took this one in five games. It was a lot quicker than I thought, AJ. Why don't you tell me why you think it happened so quickly? Yeah, well, I, I did think Minnesota could extend it a little further. I, I thought it would be Blues in seven, um, but I think they relied too heavily on veterans. Um, you kind of need a balance, in my opinion, of experience and speed. I feel like Minnesota just a little too slow. Um, and then, of course, we have to talk about Jake Allen, who was phenomenal. Uh, 0.956 save percentage, uh, 1.47 goals against average. And that's behind only Peke Rene uh, for second best performance. And then you have to look at, you know, getting uh, Vladimir Sabotka back uh, into the fold. He's making an impact uh, with three points in five games. So uh, I think all those factors kind of contributed for me on, on why I picked the Blues. Uh, I think Minnesota was just a little bit too slow. Uh, on their lines and, and they really don't have a ton of depth either they that's an issue that I think they'll need to address next season if they're going to make a deeper run well you see AJ this is where this is where I kind of differed with your assessment and in the end you were right like I said but on paper to me this looked like a couple of deep clubs I love the depth that Minnesota has at center with three big guys that they can throw out there uh, and 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 I thought that was going to even things up but really again St. Louis has a little bit more speed and a little bit more quality, I guess, among the wings, too. So uh, at the end of the day, that was the telling tale when the goaltending situation was another one where I thought Minnesota had a bit of an edge despite uh, Dubnik uh, faltering a little bit down the stretch. But Jake Allen was every bit his equal during the series and more, as you suggested, with his performance, and that really tipped the scales at the end of the day. Uh, the next series we're going to look at involve a couple of Western uh, U.S. clubs against a couple of Western Canadian-based clubs. In one case, Canadian team one, and in one case, the American-based team one. Let's take the Anaheim Ducks versus Calgary Flames. This was a bad matchup for Calgary from the outset. Uh, Anaheim's really had a mystery, a mastery over this 
this franchise for years and uh, hasn't lost a game to Calgary in, I think, about 20-plus dates uh, consecutively, which is the longest string of success one team owns against any other. And so uh, it was no shocker to me that the Ducks uh, swept this one in four games. Well, and we warned about Elliott getting into one of those slumps of his. Uh, It's happened all season long. It's why for a while he was replaced by Chad Johnson, and he was the worst goalie in the opening round, a .88 save percentage, 3.88 goals against average. Uh, The Ducks' PK was not impressive, just a 62.5%. But I think this series boils down more to Elliott's struggles than the Ducks' successes. I have... Some serious concerns about the Ducks in the next round. I'm, I'm not sure if they'll be able to pull it off, um, but I, I think ultimately it came down to just bad, bad goaltending. Um, for, for the Flames, they probably should have given Chad Johnson a look, at least in that game four. They had nothing else to lose. Uh, of course, Brian Elliott gets pulled after the first period in that game, should have never been in that game in the first place. Uh, and so I, I think that's ultimately how this boiled down, whether the Ducks can kind of right the ship. I, I really don't think they were that dominant despite the 4-0 win uh, in that series. Yeah, you might be right uh, in in that uh, assessment, but I'm going to stick with the Ducks uh, a little bit longer than you, I think, in these playoffs. They, they certainly have a six-pack of defensemen that make me feel confident about their ability to go a long way because there's a lot of offensive talent when you think about the likes of Theodore, Bieksa, uh, Lindholm, Fowler, uh, uh, you know, they can all move the puck very, very well. And, and I think they, they have an edge almost of over almost any other quartet of, of uh, rear guards in the league. So I, I think that's a big advantage they have going forward in, in the matchup against Edmonton, which is not as deep on the blue line. We'll get into that shortly. But for me, not a shocking outcome in this round, a really primo matchup and uh, for, for uh, Anaheim in this round. And, and they delivered the goods uh, without much... Uh, resistance of course Elliot's poor playoff had a lot to do with it but John Gibson was was serviceable and in limiting Calgary and and really extending that advantage that they had across the board in outscoring the the Flames 14 to 9 in this series and finally we come down to I guess uh, Connor McDavid's coming out party part one where the Oilers beat San Jose it was a case of the young guns uh, prevailing over uh, one of the oldest squads in the league in six games and this this one we could see coming because I didn't like the way things were going for Brett Burns during the latter part of the season they needed this guy to be excellent uh, in order to sustain that and he really just couldn't keep it up uh, maybe we're seeing the end of the line in terms of some of the other core players up front for San Jose. If it is, uh, well, it was uh, uh, not a not a very celebratory swan song for the likes, likes of Marlowe and uh, Thir- Thornton. More more importantly, he was limited to only four games in this set, and you wonder what the future holds for him and and uh, some of the other aging players on this squad. Well, to start with Joe Thornton, I mean, it's just astonishing that he played as much as he did with a torn ACL and torn MCL. Uh, I have torn my ACL actually twice. Uh, The instability in your knee, just walking sometimes can cause you to to stumble a little bit, but much less to get onto the the ice. Whoever made his brace that stabilized his knee uh, should really be doing some commercials with him uh, so that they both can benefit because man that that just impressed me so much uh, they you know announced marlo had a broken thumb too so his ability to shoot the puck was certainly compromised although it didn't seem to stop him and uh to think you know i'm gonna say this and, and use some air quotes here uh mcdavid had just that's my air quotes 
four points in this series. That's that's decent production. I mean, it's not on the top end, but to think that uh, with how good he is, we're you know saying four points is not enough out of McDavid. I, I do believe that's the case. Uh, they relied heavily on Oscar Clefbaum, who added uh, some blue line scoring, something that we haven't really seen from them uh, a ton. And Dreisaitl finally turned it on, too, in the last two games. He was pretty absent from the start, but got three points in the last two. Uh, so he's starting to step up. So if uh, if they can all start clicking at the same time, uh, this is definitely a dangerous team for the rest of the playoffs. Yeah, it's funny. You look at the goal scoring by both clubs in this series. Actually, San Jose outscored Edmonton, but of course, seven of those goals came in one game, and that doesn't help you when you're only left with seven goals in the <laughs> other five. So a telling tale that apart for that one explosion, uh, Edmonton really held the, them in check. Kudos to their goaltender, Cam Talbot, who kept the goals against right around two. You need that in the postseason when your club's not scoring a ton, and he continues his excellent play. This guy continues not to get the accolades that I think he deserves, AJ, as one of the guys, top goalies in the league this year, and he's just continued it through the playoffs, and he really gives this team a shot to continue their extended run in the next round. Before we get into that, though, I want to remind our listeners, of course, that we can't do really a, a fan duel kind of segment in this, this show because there's no games tonight. The next series don't start for another 24 hours so we will uh, defer on that till next week when we hope that games are in place for us to do the FanDuel segment but instead of that we want to remind you all that FanDuel is still up and running with baseball contests every night and certainly there's NBA opportunities with the playoffs ongoing as well and that there are games on the docket in that regard so baseball fans the wait's over baseball is back that means FanDuel is back and it's better than ever FanDuel where fantasy baseball is there for everyday fans there's new contests starting every day no busted seasons just pick a contest choose your team and compete against all other fans new this year there's an upgraded experience and i love this part aj there's late lineup swaps contests you can edit your players right up to the start time of their individual games there's no more worrying about a late lineup scratch or a sudden storm that could just wreck your lineup non-late swap contests are still available too and in terms of updated scoring they've added the quality start feature which means your pitchers will even be more valuable and you have more control over their own performances uh, they have a friends mode, AJ, where we create. you can create a league for your friends. Choose the days that you play each week. Contests will be created automatically. And there's a leaderboard which keeps track of how you stack up against each other. So far, you know, I, I have dabbled in the, in the baseball. I'm getting into it more and more now because there's at least a bit of a form chart, AJ, when we can look at, oh, what, what have these guys in the la- done in the last 10 games? Are they on a hot streak or not? That really figures into my ability to pick these and desire to pick some players. Are you finally starting to feel a little bit more comfortable now that we're a little bit into the season? Paul, I'm still continuing to struggle. It's, uh, you know, baseball, as I've said, is not uh, <laughs> my my realm. Uh, just to uh, maybe give our listeners a little taste of what they'll hear from you and John McKechnie on, on Wednesday on the DFS pod. Do you start your lineups uh, similar like you do with hockey? Is like goalie and pitcher, are those, do you kind of start with the pitcher and build out from there, or do you take a different approach? You know what? Just to I, give our listeners that, that little taste. I think, I think you hit on a point in terms of strategy. For me, I look at the most lopsided uh, opportunity in terms of pitcher against a soft lineup. I look at his history against these lineups and how he's been pitching recently, too. So that's a real key thing. But I also look at the other side, the mound opponent. If it's a, a number one versus a number five, I'm more apt to take that number one and spend up. 
But if I'm also wanting to be contrary and I'm looking at how the team is doing behind that pitcher, so if a team is on a hot streak, I might pick a guy who's not at the top of the leaderboard on pitching. But that definitely is a place where I start or a definitely a place where I finish. It depends on sometimes I'll, I'll construct a team thinking about some low-end batters and see about what kind of flexibility I have. So it really, I can handle it one of two ways, but certainly getting the pitcher right is an absolute must in terms of FanDuel play. So so uh, there are different ways to go about it, and, and I use a few different methods to, to reach that conclusion. But uh, it's it's really a, the key aspect in terms of building your lineup, getting the, the winning pitcher. It's great if he goes deep into a game, but if he doesn't get that W, that's 12 points that you're leaving on the table at that uh, half the win, uh, pitchers do get every night. So you want to get that one right uh, in order to be in the money. So great question by you. And we'll rem- remind our listeners, you have all the fantasy that baseball has to offer at FanDuel. Be sports rich. Sign up today. Go to FanDuel.com slash RW. There's a special offer for new users where you deposit today and you'll get a free six-month subscription from Rotowire plus five free entries up that's up to fifty dollars in value it's a great value to try a variety of sports on FanDuel and there's a variety of them going on right now as I implied with hockey and NBA playoffs and and uh, certainly the baseball season underway that's FanDuel.com slash RW and uh, we remind you also don't forget to check out our daily baseball pods from Monday to Friday of course I host the Wednesday one with John McKechnie where we preview all the daily games uh, for our DFS pods where we highlight FanDuel's best plays of the day each each time out and now it's time for our second round preview aj i know you're chomping at the bit with one of the series we'll get to that shortly but here is the first matchup i want to touch on and that's the rangers versus the senators rangers benefiting effectively from a bit of a crossover opportunity into the much softer uh looking atlantic division realm or bracket as we say uh the season series between these two clubs was was close it was two to one in favor of the senators the goaltending matches uh, matchup is an intriguing one featuring henrik lundquist and craig anderson why don't you break that one down for us before we go forward with this analysis well yeah it's kind of interesting you you take a look i i feel like anderson had a had a decent performance um but if you look at all the netminders still uh in action anderson actually put up the worst uh numbers of the the eight that are still going uh you know just a a 0.921 save percentage which is interesting to say to say just 0.921 i think any other uh, matchup or series you'd be excited to see that but you know Rene and Allen have been phenomenal Lundquist on the other side he's been uh, stellar as well and so it's really hard to to pick your goalies we're going to see some outstanding matchups here and this is just one of them I don't think at this point we have any net miners that we're really worried about um, so yeah I think it's going to be a tough tough uh, go picking between these two you know Anderson's got kind of the emotional support uh, side of it uh, but Hemlick Wonkus has been one of the best for a long time. I think it'll come down, as we've highlighted uh, throughout his career, is whether or not the Senators can get under Lundqvist's skin and get him off his game. Anderson seems to be much more uh, consistent, doesn't really get rattled quite as much. If you can rattle King Henrik, you can definitely throw him off. So I think that'll be the key here is how level-headed he can stay. Yeah, I love that analysis. I mean, for all the accolades that Lundqvist has had, he hasn't got the Stanley Cup on his resume yet, so you got to wonder if this might be uh, one of his last chances to get there. And certainly the the route that they'll travel this year is a little bit easier than it might otherwise have been if, had they wound up in that 2-3 bracket in their division. So uh, look for Lundqvist to continue his mastery uh, that he had on a goals against average of 1.7 in the first round. He needs to continue that to really get, continue to give uh, the Rangers the edge. 
I I want to look at the big matchup in this series uh, on a global sk- spectrum. For me, it's the ska- skating ability of the Rangers versus the Ottawa defense. I think there's a real opportunity here to exploit that mismatch. Uh, I think for all his his uh, credits, uh, Carlson is a bit of a giveaway machine because he handles the puck so much, and he's not that great in his own end. So uh, my strategy for the Rangers is use your speed, dump the puck into Carlson's corner as much as possible, let him play a 200-foot game, and see uh, if you can exploit the fact that he has a bit of an injury that he's dealing with, too. If you can have him skate more on his side of the ice than on the other side, you're ahead of the game, too. Uh, of course, it in, uh, an intriguing matchup here is Mika Sabanajad and uh, Derek Broussard. They're playing against their older old clubs, and uh, they're leading their squads uh, into this fray in terms of the scoring that they've done so far in these playoffs. I think that head-to-head matchup is going to be a very interesting one. But for me, it's uh, the Ranger speed versus the the Senators' opportunistic sniping, I think, is is the best thing that I can say about the Ottawa side. They've got some real good shooters there, uh, Bobby Ryan, Mike Hoffman, and the like, uh, that are going to have to try and level the playing field here. But otherwise, i got I got to think Ottawa's main concern is how do we stop this uh, high-flying Ranger squad? Yeah, I absolutely agree. You know, there's a couple guys um, that, that they're going to try and use for the Rangers. You mentioned Mika Zabinajad. He's leading the team. Uh, with four uh, with points uh, and he's got assists on both the power play and the penalty kill a game-winning goal in overtime so he's really stepping up in kind of all three phases of the game Uh, on the opposite side of him you also mentioned Bobby Ryan he's got the two power play goals a pair of assists two game-winning goals and so he's going to really need to stay hot as well Um, some kind of unheralded guys you might uh, take a look at uh, out there Brady Skay uh, needs uh, kind of to really step up, uh, like some of the other guys, uh, he's had five, uh, five goals in 80 regular season games, and he's got two in the first round. So he's uh, a red hot right now and really helping them to get some scoring on the blue line. And earlier we mentioned Clark MacArthur. Uh, it's not just the two goals, both of which have been scored on the power play with him, but, uh, you know, kind of another emotional storyline, him getting back in. That's another thing for Ottawa to draw on. For me, my key matchup is special teams. Uh, the Rangers' power play was a dismal 6.7%, while Ottawa was 21.7. The Rangers' penalty kill was pretty good at 85%, but I think much of that hinges on Lundqvist. Uh, he's been uh, a really, really good of late, um, and it's he's hard enough to beat in five-on-five situations. Uh, so you really have to capitalize if, if you're the senators in those odd man uh, opportunities. I think that's a great assessment, AJ. And uh, why don't you give us your bottom line? Who do you think is going to win this series? Yeah, so I'm going to go with the Rangers in seven in this one. Uh, I think it's going to be close, close fought. But I, I think in today's NHL with the rules such that they are, you know, the speed really tends to win out. We saw what they did to Montreal. Um, and I, I think you're right. I think keying in on Carlson, uh, averaging 30 minutes a night on, on a foot that's got uh, some stress or hairline fractures, I believe, in it is is eventually going to catch up with him. And so I think uh, to take advantage on that, I think an aggressive forecheck uh, by the Rangers can really help, you know, kind of attack uh, the Ottawa defense. So ultimately, I think it'll be a close series, but I think the Rangers get it done in seven. What's your prediction, Paul? I think it could even be a little bit quicker. I want to harp on that disparity that I see in terms of the Rangers forecheck on guys like Mark Mathot and Dion Phaneuf and company. There's a few other guys on that Ranger blue line, on that Ottawa blue line rather, that cannot skate the same, near the same way as uh, Carlson. So I'm I'm looking for that uh, situation to be exploited. 
for me, the, the Rangers' uh, tactic has to be very simple. As I said, dump it in deep, make these guys lug it out, and uh, challenge their slower uh, blue liners to see if they can trap the Senators in their own end for longer stretches. I think uh, Craig Anderson's been a great story most of the season, but I don't think he's a Hendrik Lundqvist by any stretch of the imagination. I think it's a huge edge in, in goal for the Ranger, Rangers, and I think those combina- that combination of factors makes me feel very confident that the Rangers uh, have a relatively easy time advancing into the conference final uh, with a six-game romp in this set. The one that I'm, the series though that I'm looking forward to, and I know you are, is the next one. We're going to talk about the Caps versus the Penguins. The season series was tied at two. The goaltending matchup features a rejuvenated Marc-Andre Fleury against a Braden Holtby who started off a little shakily I thought in the last round but really found his game as that series wore on and I think he's at the back at the top of his game this is a compelling matchup from the net out what say you about the goaltending uh, battle here well I'll start with Fleury it's absolutely going to be him in this series I found out yesterday uh, at the team uh, press conference that Matt Murray is not even skating yet Uh, So there's almost no chance that he comes back in this series, uh, much less the rest of the postseason. I mean, I think it would take uh, a pretty significant improvement by him to even get into a backup role. And I think you'd have to see Fleury really struggle at this point for them to switch. Uh, It'll be interesting to see how Holpe squares up against that Penguins offense. They've been so red hot of late. They've got Malcolm back. uh, And so they're definitely a dangerous team. Uh, I think, it, it, as you pointed out, Hopi struggled a little bit at the start, um, and he's faced a lot of shots. He saw 213 shots in the opening round. That's more than any other goaltender, and it's not going to get any easier for him going up against the Penguins. They're another team that likes to put pucks to the net, and so I definitely see that uh, being the key here. Uh, but I, I think Fleury uh, has been red hot. He faced a ton of shots uh, in the last round, so I think he knows what he's getting into it's definitely one to watch. Yeah, this is really the compelling series among all the four matchups, and we'll spend a little more time talking about it as, as a result. There are several players to watch on these the both clubs. They know each other very well, too, having met uh, four times in the regular season where they split four games. There were a couple of lopsided scores in the sets, but a couple of their close games. I think this is going to be much more uh, of close close scoring games than than blowouts on either side. I don't think any team's going to be lops- with lopsided wins in this set. Uh, in terms of players to watch, boy, we were reminded in that opening round, Justin Williams, he may not be a 35-goal scorer, uh, but boy, does he score in key moments. Uh, Kevin Shattenkirk, for me, uh, you want to highlight him. He was a bit of a disappointment in the first round, and I'm wondering if he did himself a disservice with his play in the latter part of the season. Uh, heading into free agency the the caps need more from him in this round Uh, players to watch i'm kind of curious to see how crosby's wingers do in this set aj because this is a lot of marquee guys on the other side of the ice that he's going to be they're going to be facing can crosby lift them and elevate them to continue their their strong play that that we've seen out of them for much of the season they're going to need to be on their a game i think that's that's one set that i'm really going to watch is the first line wingers that play with sid the kid of course you know what you're going to get from the likes of malkin and kessel and kunitz and and some of the experienced hands in, in pittsburgh's offense to me i'm a little bit worried about in terms of a key matchup i'll jump down to that and i'll get you to talk about players to watch and key matchups i'm a little bit worried about the penguins defense against the washington capitals when they rev up that four check they can hem you in and uh, i'm really concerned about that one and uh, that matchup in this series 
Yeah, uh, you talked a little bit about about Justin Williams averaging a point per game in the postseason, three goals and three assists. He's really been the key, I think, to that second line of Johansson, Kunets, and Kuznetsov and, and Williams. Uh, I think he provides uh, a lot of puck movement and uh, uh, really some puck control for them. And so I think he really helps kind of stabilize that line. As you mentioned, Shattenkirk has been disappointing. Uh, three helpers, all of which have come on the power play, but a minus four. I think he really needs to step up defensively. Honestly, him and Orpik have become a liability five on five. They both have a minus four rating. And so it'll be interesting to see how the Penguins test that. Now, you mentioned uh, Crosby wingers. It looks like there might be a change there. Uh, it looks like Patrick Hornquist actually might slot back into that first line role. Jake Gunsel is going to stay up there. And I think this just gives them a little more grit. Uh, on that top line honestly you have to imagine Hornquist is going to drive Braden Holpe absolutely nuts uh, on that spot and so I think that will allow Crosby and Kessel or Gensel to get some more screens Uh, and you mentioned Chris Kunitz might be back Uh, he's aiming for a first round return I think again that's another guy that's going to drive Holpe absolutely crazy in front of the net really be a pest to get into those those tough areas so uh, plenty of players to watch there I think for me, the key matchup is going to be bottom six production. You look at the Pens lineup, they've got scoring throughout it, uh, which is why they're leading the postseason with that 4.2 goals per game. They've got goals from guys like Benino, Wilson, Kunako, whereas Washington is a lot more top heavy uh, with only Tom Wilson as the only bottom six player in their lineup that has a goal. Uh, He's got a couple of them, so he's been performing well, um, but there's really no depth there. Um, especially for the Penguins, if you uh, count, you know, I didn't count Connor Sheary as a bottom six role because he's been in the top. Um, but whether it's him or Hornquist, they both scored in, in the playoffs. So that's another uh, third line scorer there. And so I think it, it really comes down to bottom six production for me. Yeah, I, I think uh, looking at a comparison of the defensive depth, though, that's, that's going to cause me to swing things in Washington's favor, though, AJ. That, that's just a tiebreaker for me because I look at at the Caps defense. They offer a six-pack of guys that uh, is a little more experienced, I'll say, on the whole, and a little bit more mobile than, uh, than the depth that the Penguins were counter with. And to, to me, that tips the scales in their favor. I'm calling the caps in seven games in this series might go down to seventh game overtime but i do figure that the league's the best team in the regular season will prevail in this matchup and it, it for me it, you you said bottom six scoring for me it's the six packs on defense on both sides the team that gets the better effort from from their six pack will win the series and i'm thinking it's the capitals well you're calling the capitals in six i'm going to call you wrong paul and go <laughs> pens uh pens in six you said caps in seven i'm sorry yeah. but i'll go pens in six uh, I, if it were at home, I, I might even favor this uh, a little bit more in the Penguins' favor, uh, but they do have to travel. I anticipate they'll steal one, whether it's uh, games one or two or possibly games five, uh, but I expect them to win at home. And so if they steal one on the road, you get wins in three and four, close it out in six at home. Uh, that's how I see it. I, I have certainly having Crystal Tang there to eat up 25 to 30 minutes a night would be great. But they've done a really good job spreading out the minutes across all 6D. And so I think it prevents them from having too much of uh, guys that get too banged up from that forecheck. So for me, it's pens and six. I don't think our listeners would have expected anything else out of me. I certainly would have. You're not shocking me at all. Let's go over to the Western Conference and take a look at the matchups there. We talk about St. Louis and Nashville prevailing 
for me, uh, both unexpected results in the first round. So kind of interesting uh, from that aspect. The season series was 3-2 to two in favor of the Predators. The goaltending matchup, Jake Allen against Pekka Rinne. Why don't you start us off there with your analysis of the netminders that we expect to find in the Nets in Game 1. Yeah, well, based on their first-round performance, this almost has to be a series that you expect to go to seven and all of them being overtime one-goal uh, one winners. I mean, honestly, based on their performance, it wouldn't be shocking to see some of these games end one to nothing with how good these two have been. They're the best two goalies in the postseason so far. Uh, you know, they've been uh, really, really solid at, at on, you know, in all aspects of the the kind of uh, goaltender game. They've played the pucks well. Uh, they've been uh, stand up and, and made the, the saves at crucial times. We saw Peke Rene dive back in to the net after that car- weird carom off the boards to, to yeah. keep that one out of the net too. Rene has the slight edge in save percentage and goals against average. Uh, he's got two shutouts, uh, whereas Jake Allen doesn't have any. So if you're looking for one thing that maybe could separate these two, I think it's the the shutouts that would do it, but I, I expect a, a bunch of one goal games here, uh, in a, a, you know a lot of overtime potentially too. I think it's going to be a really close series. Yeah, I, I agree with that assessment. Uh, certainly, Rene has reminded everybody he had a kind of a so-so regular season, but he's reminded everybody just how good he can be, and he's he's been in the Vezina Trophy discussion before, and not that he will be based on the regular season this year, but he is a quality netminder, and I think if you just look at, at the resumes of these respective netminders, you have to give him the nod as the guy that m- might provide a slight edge for Nashville, and certainly off what he showed in the first round, uh, that just is amplified. In terms of players to watch, AJ, who do you got highlighted? Yeah, so I'll start off with uh, kind of a, a unsung hero, if you will, for St. Louis. Joel Edmondson has really been filling in uh, that D scoring after Shattenkirk left. Uh, he doesn't see quite as much ice time as Petrangelo, so he doesn't necessarily get highlighted as much, but they need him to, to continue to produce. Uh, on the flip side, you got Ryan Ellis, a, another defensive uh, scorer. He's got a goal and three assists in the playoffs, really benefiting from playing aside, alongside Roman Yossi. Uh, all their defenders really have been good. They've got three blue liners with points, you know, Rossi, Ellis, and P.K. Subban. Kind of dark horse guys to watch. You know, Paul Stastny, I call him only a dark horse only because he only played one game, right. but he got a goal in that game and boosts that offense. Uh, 40 points on the year. And he, he pushes Steen down to a second-line role, which uh, helps their, their team depth there. And then Colton Sissons uh, for Nashville, kind of another unsung contributor. He's playing in a third-line role, but has two goals and an assist while averaging just 14, 26 per, per game. So uh, really capitalizing on his kind of limited opportunities. A lot of these uh, wingers are playing a lot more minutes this time of year. And so uh, those are kind of some guys that I see. Uh, Paul, anybody that you kind of want to highlight? Well, you've highlighted uh, Stastny. I want to amplify that. This guy has the potential to be the uh, number one center equal of anybody that Nashville can throw out there. He only played one game, as you highlighted. And if he can really play 15 to 20 minutes a game and, and play at a top level, I think he levels the playing field a lot in terms of the respective offenses, maybe tips them slightly in, in St. Louis's favor. So that uh, his performance is going to be key, and it slots everybody down one notch and maybe more appropriately in that offensive depth chart with one of the finest playmakers in the game resuming his role for St. Louis. On the flip side, I look for Nashville to be a little bit more physical in this set too, so the the likes of their top forwards are going to have to 
I'd amplify that edge. I'm looking for Ryan Johansson to play a key role in that regard. He's a big, rangy center that you love in that number one spot. And uh, certainly they have other players that can that can be physical, but they're not as good scoring. So I look at Johansson to really be the guy that tips the, the scales. So I went high end in terms of players to watch. And in terms of the defense, I think this is where uh, the big advantage, if we can look at the edge in the series, AJ, and also players to watch, there's a three-pack on the blue line that San Jose has that uh, I don't think St. Louis can counter apart from Alex Pietrangelo. When you look at the fact that they can put PJ, P.K. Subban on, Roman Yossi and Ryan Ellis, that's three guys, two of which will be on the guys together a lot, but uh, each of them can, can play upwards of 25 minutes a game. So that really locks down your defense when you can count on three guys like that. And really, at the end of the day, on paper, that's why I think I give Nashville a bit of a, an, an edge in this series. It's the defense comparison, again, as I highlighted in a previous set. Yeah, for for key matchup for me, I mean, there's really no way to avoid the goalies as the key. Uh, You know, they've just been so outstanding for much of the season, but really both guys have stepped up their game uh, in the playoffs here. And so I I think it's going to be close. Uh, Ultimately, I I give the slight edge. Preds in seven is what I'm going to go with. Uh, I just don't see this coming down to, to a lot of difference a couple bad bounces here or there could turn the series either way it's going to be close it's going to be tight uh i will point out Rene was 21 6 and 5 in at home during the regular season so that's a place that he is comfortable with we obviously saw that they got both wins there and so they're going to defend the house and then have to pick one up in st louis uh, i would expect it to be game seven but it could be earlier uh so i'll go preds in seven uh, Paul, I think you're uh, on the same team, maybe a little quicker. Yeah, I am. I, I think that uh, the Nashville offense is underrated. I think they can put a little bit of pressure on you because they can really skate. And, and so that's one thing that will negate the depth that St. Louis offers on the other side of the puck offensively. I look at this as two four-line teams that, that ca- they won't shock you. They won't scare you. But uh, the relentless nature of both offenses is is pretty equal in terms of the forecheck game, the pressure game that each likes to play. I just think that the the Nashville defense is better equipped to deal with it based on the depth of the, that I see at that position. And the goaltending, I think, also is a slight edge to Nashville. So that's two check marks to me in favor of, of the Preds, and that means it's a little bit shorter in a six-game set and victory for the, the team from uh, Music City. So uh, let's go down to the final series. That's the Ducks and the Oilers. The, this is a set, too, where the Oilers played them five times in the regular season and won three of them. Uh, a bit of a surprise to me when I reviewed that aspect because I think on paper the Ducks are a little bit deeper team than the Edmonton Oilers, but certainly the Oilers uh, taking on the, the role of almost a Cinderella team in these playoffs where they came from nowhere in the in the uh, a year ago and now look at where they've come with McDavid really coming to the forefront and leading the team but also they're getting tremendous goaltending from Talbot so uh, that that leads us into a discussion in the ma- goaltending matchup two guys that don't really rate among the top 10 goalies in the league but two guys that really carried the flag for their respective clubs this season and really entrenched themselves as number one goalies John Gibson and Cam Talbot. Yeah, I think the interesting fact here is going to be, you know, if Gibson has has an off night, I mean, they did uh, pull him in, in that one game and were able to get the win. Uh, so even, you know, pulling him, it kind of infused a, a little bit of energy into the team. So maybe that had more to do with it and less with his performance. Um, but both these guys put up almost identical numbers. Uh, Gibson a point nine two six, Talbot a point nine two seven. 
so not much really in save percentage separating these two guys. So I think it will come down to whether Gibson has one of those uh, slippery outings. I think the backup situation with Jonathan Bernier in there gives them that flexibility um, that they can trust him more. I I don't think Edmonton is ever really going to pull Cam Talbot out of these games unless it gets um, outrageous at any point. So uh, we'll see what happens there. But I I do think uh, Talbot has been kind of their unsung hero uh, for a goaltender who's been as good as he is to think that he's been unsung is uh, kind of interesting. It comes down as you highlighted Connor McDavid and co and everything they've done on the offense. So I do give them the edge to Talbot there. Yeah. I, and then in terms of a key matchup, AJ, I'm looking at Ryan Kessler as a second line center. This guy can play it at both ends of the rink. He had a fantastic offensive year, but I think he's going to drive McDavid absolutely nuts in this series. And if he can do anything to negate this young superstar, I think that really tips the scales heavily in Anaheim's favor. And uh, Kessler's done it before. His line mates can fly as well. Cogliano and Silverberg, two of the fleetest uh, wingers as, uh, in the league. So I think this is going to match. That's going to be a key matchup for me. The Oilers' uh, first line against the the Ducks' second line. That'll be uh, the key thing. Uh, in Edmonton, it's going to be interesting to see who gets the assignment because obviously last change goes to Edmonton. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see who they like to see McDavid against. And, and that's really where the Oilers are going to have to make hay and defend home turf. If they slip up there, they're really going to be behind the eight ball because I think the Ducks will certainly lean on Kessler in that matchup. And to me, that along with the depth that the 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 Ducks have on the blue line. I really like their their uh, depth on that on that uh, defense. One of the top six packs in the league. The Oilers are going to re- rely on young younger guys like Darnell Nurse and uh, Clefbaum that you mentioned on their blue line. Uh, I think it's a bit of a disparity there. So there's a couple of check marks in Anaheim's favor. The way I look at this series, uh, I'm curious to hear hear how you might see it. Yeah, it's interesting, Paul. Your your kind of check marks towards Anaheim are, are concerns for me. Uh, you know, Kessler only had one assist uh, in that opening series, and that's simply not good enough. They need more out of him. He's he's capable of it, um, but that that was definitely disappointing. When I went uh, when I went to review, I expected to see that he had more. I unfortunately wasn't able to catch a ton of their games, um, but to see he only had one assist was a little bit of a surprise. Their scoring's come more uh, honestly from Shea Theodore with five points. And injuries have kind of forced him to step up, which is why I'm more concerned about that Ducks blue line. Now, they are, it sounds like guys are getting close to healthy, but they got Vatanen, who's been out for a while, Fowler's out, Stoner's out, and now a new injury to Hampus Lindholm. Uh, if he's out, that's going to be one that's really hard uh, for them to overcome. And then, so Edmonton, uh, the matchup for me is McDavid against that defense. Uh, who they can put out there, what they cobble together if some of these guys are hurt. Hopefully they can get Vatanen uh, back soon, maybe Fowler. And, you know, maybe the injury to Limholm isn't that serious and they'll have him back. Um, And I think also for Edmonton, another guy that needs to step up is Patrick Maroon. He's been pretty much absent except for one goal. Uh, They need to get his him back to being a 40 plus point guy like he was during the regular season. Uh, So those are kind of my key matchups. Obviously, we both talked about him highlighting the Ducks, how they handle McDavid. I mean, whether it's their D or what forward combination they put out there, I I think you're right. I think that's the key. What do you do against Connor McDavid? Yeah, and then just looking at the, at the injury notes, you mentioned Lindholm, Vatten, and Dupre. They're all day-to-day hurts. Fowler is the most significant concern. So I'm betting that at least a couple of those guys get back. But 
this this playoff, as I highlighted at the outset of round one, it's a war of attrition, and you got to have eight or nine guys you can rely on in terms of of the defense core, and maybe fifteen guys up front in the four four forward line opportunities. So the the Ducks, to me, they have uh, a lot of depth on the blue line. And I think it's quality depth. So I don't mind seeing the likes of uh, Josh Manson, uh, Brandon Montour, and Corbinian Holzer getting a little more ice time in the early going while the other guys manage their day-to-day hurts. And to me, that, uh, the Oilers can't say the same thing. If they suffer a bump or a bru- uh, bruise that keeps, hobbles one of their blue liners, they're going to be in big trouble, I think. And that leads me to tip the scales in favor of the Anaheim Ducks in this set. AJ, my call is them. they take it in seven games. I think this team has got too much physicality for the Oilers over a long set. Certainly the Oilers can counter with Maroon and Lucic, but beyond them, I'm a little bit concerned about some of the softer forwards. And uh, not to say anybody's going to catch McDavid with his head down, but I think the Ducks can grind a team over a seven-game set, and I think that's going to be their ticket to success ultimately in in a long, hard-fought series. Well, I believe it'll definitely be a long series in seven games, but I am going to go with Edmonton in seven. Uh, I think they've got too much offense. Uh, I mentioned earlier in the show that the Ducks' power uh, penalty kill was not very good, uh, around 60, 62%, I believe. Uh, they've really struggled. Uh, Gibson has shown that he can have a bad outing from time to time. And like I said, the injuries, I think, are a little too much. Uh, I'm not as sold on the, the Ducks' depth on the blue line. So we'll see how it shakes up. Sounds like there's a handful of loony to dollar bets in there, although I'm not sure I'm getting a great return on my money for those. Uh, maybe we need to uh, a dollar to two loonies or something, but uh, we'll figure all that out at the end of the season. But for me, Oilers in seven. Look at him throwing some financial stuff at me. Holy cow. Excellent work there, AJ. It's about a buck 35 to one right now for those who care about that thing. And uh, Thankfully for me, I get paid by Rotowire in U.S. dollars here in the North Country, so I don't <laughs> mind that at all. AJ, that uh, we we said we're not going to be able to do a FanDuel thing this week, but uh, we still have the staples of our show, the stud of the week and the rant of the week. The stud of the week, we've tipped our hand a little bit here, but Pekka Rinne, for me, uh, evolved as the key guy in the first round, authoring uh, the greatest upset in the, in the first round, took shutouts, and really reminding people that he is an elite goalie. He, he rewound the resume a little bit to remind us all of that and just gave an A1 performance that led to the most shocking story in that first round. Yeah, I agree. He has really been unstoppable. Uh, let's not forget Pekka Rinne also picking up a pair of assists uh, during the opening round. So adding in the offensive end as well. Uh, so yeah, I think the goals allowed is just three in a four game series. Uh, you know, the shots he's seeing, uh, in that opening round weren't astronomical. He actually only saw 126 shots, which is one of the lowest, uh, of all the netminders out there. And so, uh, if he's tested a little bit more, we'll see how that shakes out. Um, but he has been uh, basically unstoppable. If I had to put it down to one word, um, Peke Rennie's first-round performance, unstoppable is definitely it. Well, why the shots were so low is they won four straight games, AJ. Don't forget that. So <laughs> That's he still true. averaged about 30 <laughs> shots a game. So uh, not like he was facing 10 or 12. Uh, and he did turn the, the large, large number of them aside. So credit to him for really uh, derailing uh, the, uh, the Chicago Blackhawks, a stunning upset. Uh, when you look at it from a high level but i'll remind our listeners we were high on this team at the beginning of the season and really they're showing now why we thought so in terms of the rant of the week aj i uh 
I, of course, was very satisfied with the Maple Leafs' effort against the Capitals, but a couple of incidents in that series really uh, highlighted the need for players to be held responsible for their actions, even if penalties aren't called. I saw some egregious fouls in this set, and I'll, I'll uh, author a case in point. Ovechkin was targeted by Kadri with a with a hip check that some people thought was a little unsavory, but hey, in the old the old days, I remember this was the way the hip checks were delivered. You'd bend down and target a guy uh, from the thigh up to the waist, and, and people were thinking, no, he went a little, little lower than that, but on the replays that I saw, the, it was pretty clear that, that uh, he bent over and delivered in the hip check position. A pretty solid check that some people, even Don Cherry said, was an absolutely clean check. Well, how did Ovechkin react? He reacted like a hothead, AJ. A couple of incidents uh, that were highlighted again on one of the national broadcasts here in Canada in a, in a replay pack. They showed him actually take a stick and spear Kadri uh, in the ribs that was not called. But it was a real shot, an attempt to injure. If, if you define a major penalty as an attempt to injure, which it is, this should have been called. It was completely missed by the referees, and it was deliberate. Another thing that was unsavory about that aspect. So I don't like those incidents, and I think that they should be highlighted, even if it is a, a fine situation or a reprimand of some sort, certainly not a suspendable event necessarily, but something where a player should be held accountable. And then there was another incident involving Ovechkin in the same game. He's on the left boards, and he skates full bore across the ice with about seven strides that I counted, and he absolutely plasters Jake Gardner against the fence. And, I mean... In, two or three strides before a hit it's a charge this was seven and he got away without with it unscathed and it was like a runaway locomotive he was pissed off there was no question after he got uh, thumped by Kadri, and he was willing to hit anything that moved but he went out of his way with two egregious fouls none, neither of which was called and i think that was reckless activity by one of the most physical forces in the league no question and uh, neither one got called so i just think that a player needs to be held accountable and not put other players at risk with uh, premeditated attacks, I'll say. Well, so the the interesting thing is is how the NHL wants to handle this and handle spearing in general. Um, we've seen a couple instances here at the end of the season. Uh, Brad Marchant got the two game suspension for basically meaningless games that he might have sat out anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, Leon Drysaddle gets just the fine. Uh, you know, I'll even throw uh, my my guy Sidney Crosby got away with it without any sort of penalty at all. Um, and again, Ovechkin gets away with it as well. So the, the question is whether or not they want to handle it as the league or they want to let the players handle it. They can't not do anything. Yeah. They've taken fighting out of, or at least tried to eliminate fighting, which prevents players from policing it on their own. And so that's, you know, you can't police it yourself because you can't get in a fight and settle it that way. But the league's not doing anything about it with meaningless suspensions and fines. You think you think Drysaddle really cared that they find him a couple thousand bucks? I don't. No, not at all. And so I, the NHL needs to address this. I, granted, uh, doing it now in the postseason I think is a little bit tough. But heading into next season, they need to put something together. And the first guy that does it, sh- come down on him hard with some sort of significant suspension. That'll at least cut it down, if not stop it altogether. Uh, I agree that the spear is an intent to injure uh, move. There, there's no, uh, even, a, even a high stick, you can say, oh, he was reaching for the puck, he was reacting some way, his stick got caught on something. I mean, there's ways to kind of justify a high stick from time to time. It's, it seems more like an accident. A spear can't be justified as an accident. You don't accidentally 
jab a guy with the stick. No. And so I think this is something that the league needs to address one way or the other. Let guys duke it out. If you don't want to issue suspensions, then you got to let guys self-police it on the ice. Well, you know what? You make an interesting point there with your final comment because even I'll refer to Don Cherry again. He said, you know, when you take fighting out of the game or see it reduced, you give the rats in the league a chance to to get away with stuff. And that's really what I'm trying to highlight here. People are trying to get away with stuff and they're not called to, to, to defend themselves for their actions on the ice or even in the boardroom if they're not going to get fined or penalized in any way, shape, or form. Yet players could get hurt. And, and through a violent and, and uh, intent, intentional act, that's the part that bothers me, AJ. And so that's, that's why I wanted to highlight it in this week's show. And you're quite right. You don't want to solve this, try to solve this problem now when the stakes are so high. But I think they got to take a look at it in the offseason. So that's why we highlighted it here in this episode. Any final comments before we move on? No, just uh, hopefully I'll be back next week. Uh, hopefully there won't uh, be any sort of uh, interruption in, in our <laughs> broadcast here with, uh, with a baby on the way. But uh, So hopefully I'll be back planning on it at this point uh, and we'll uh, we'll talk to our listeners down the road so we'll look forward to welcome welcoming paul or paula schultz uh, to, the, to the to the world next week i know you wanted to make a tribute to me in that regard i think that's very nice of you aj but uh, in any case uh, we wish you great the greatest luck in the world with uh, all things going well in that regard should they happen between now and next week's show and that wraps it up uh, for this week's podcast with Satsman and AJ. Remember to send us your comments or questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno, at Satsman22. And you can follow AJ at AJScholes24. We ask you to look out for podcast Hockey Pod every week so that you get all the latest news and our tips to stay ahead of the competition in your fantasy contest. So long, everybody. 